Looks like it's working there. All right, well, tonight's an interesting night because of the snow, and we're really not too small, but I know we're missing a few too. And my guess is, uh, whenever, for me at least, whenever it's like this outside, attention and energy is a bit of a different thing. Uh, so in terms of focus, um, uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm just saying I'm not focused right now. Uh, but the goal tonight is to continue moving forward in this experiment of figuring out how to get comfortable talking about our faith, um, how to speak what we believe without having to think twice about it and try to remember, well, I got to say it just like this or just like that. Um, and that means then to, to get into the difference between theology and knowing God when they're not really different at all. They're the exact same thing. And the problem is that we have this line between these two words for some reason, and that's what we want to overcome. Um, I do want to say that uh, we have one more week, and then I think it's Ash Wednesday. Yeah, I think that's right. So then starting for Ash Wednesday, um, I can't remember if I had said before that we would try to do class before service anyway, but I'm thinking that's a mistake the, more, the closer we get to that. So basically we're going to dovetail class into Ash Wednesday services, which will be starting at 7 p.m., and they'll be like unto what we're doing, but probably closer to a 45-minute or a 50-minute service. That's the whole thing, nothing before that, right? Um, hopefully that makes it a little easier for you all to get here and get dinner as well before, um, before that, that happens. Um, with that said, Ash Wednesday itself, uh, you might have heard it Sunday morning, there are three different options to go to, so I'm not going to hold you to you know, having to go to more than one in that regard. So, all right, um, at least at this point, we're looking at a proverb every week, trying to reckon with the fact that the Bible gives us wisdom. The Bible gives us a way to see that the rest of the world doesn't necessarily have. Uh, we're going to look at a little Ecclesiastes tonight as well. Uh, I just kind of fell into that book again this week, and it's just it's blowing me away with how useful it is, how direct it is. I remember the first time I read that book as a young man, I was completely surprised. Like, what this, what's this thing in the Bible for? Where'd this come from? Why did no one ever teach me about that? And I'm kind of convinced that wisdom and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes in general, for most of us, that is the experience, that we, we don't think of Christianity as a as a guide for seeing good things to do, as opposed to we usually will think about the law as a guide for what we're not supposed to do. Here's a bunch of don't do this, a bunch of don't do that, a bunch of morality. And wisdom is not without morality, but it's not merely morals. It's not just a finger wagging, you better do this. It's bigger than that. It's like being able to see reality for what it really is and foresee the effects of what would happen. So you know that if you do this or you do that, the result's going to be a certain way. And the world doesn't always see or remember those results. Uh, it keeps, in some ways, wanting to um, do the same thing and expect a different end result uh, from basically amoral things or evil. So in this then, seeking wisdom is more than just seeking to be good, but it does come with goodness. Uh, what you're seeking, though, is you're seeking to see right? You're seeking to see. You want your eyes to be clear so that in every moment you know what you should do, what you can do, um, what you're not to do. In any case, so Proverbs 3.27, it's just one proverb to look at tonight. 
and it, I, I kind of skipped ahead a little bit in the book to get away from the get more wisdom, get more wisdom, get more wisdom of chapters one, two, and three. Like the, it kind of just says that over and over again. Wisdom? Hey, you need wisdom. You know what I want about wisdom? Wisdom's awesome. You need some more wisdom. Would you like some wisdom? You better get wisdom. It just kind of does that for two chapters. The point is, it's a really hard thing for us to learn. We do not remember that we need wisdom. We think we have it already. And so the repetition is there on purpose. But because we are hasty modern people, I wanted to push us forward a little bit and show us some of the diversity that the book contains. So for this week, 327 says this, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is within your power to give it. Now you can summarize that a lot more shortly by saying, pay your debts. Pay your debts. If you told someone you're going to do something, do it. If you owe someone money, pay it. If at all possible, you have put yourself in a position in life where someone else deserves something from you, a good person, a wise person, brings that to pass. There's all sorts of reasons for this from it's just the right thing to do all the way down to what's going to happen if you say to somebody, I'll pay you for that, and then later you don't pay them. Are they going to sell you something again next time? No, they're not, right? So if you don't give what is owed to others when you owe it, you will eventually have a name that people will believe doesn't do what it's supposed to do. And so you'll lose your good name by refusing to do what's in your power to do. But this applies to so much more than just money. It applies to your relationships, right? So you have a friend or you have a neighbor and they have a request. Um, it doesn't mean you say yes to everything, but it does mean you recognize that if it's in your power to do good to somebody, it's better for them and it's better for you if you do that good. Uh, it's a simple piece of, of really just pure wisdom. Seems obvious, pay your debts, but it's kind of hard to do. Uh, it's hard to remember that the good of others eventually comes back and, and is a benefit to you as well. Um, I had another thought on that. Oh, it also connects very closely to the seventh commandment. You shall not steal. Yeah. To not steal means to recognize someone else's property. And it's more than just seeing they have theirs and not taking it. It's seeing that they have theirs and they want to preserve it. And so if you can help them preserve their property, chances are they're going to help you preserve your property and everybody benefits. Uh, there's another old proverb from Latin. Not quite the same as this, but it's worth knowing. I really like this one. Uh, it says, A rising tide lifts all ships. Now, to know what that means, you've got to have a little knowledge about ships and, and the ocean. But, well, what's a rising tide? Can you put that one together? What's a rising tide? It's like um, when the waves on the beach, they crash. Like when it's, like, when it's dark out, they go up. Uh-huh. So the waves on the beach, not necessarily when it's dark out. Can, it depends, but it does have to do with the moon. The waves on the beach come further up or further back on the beach. And so it makes the water level higher at the exact point of land, or lower if the tide goes out, right? So we're talking about the tide going in, though, a rising tide. So now, imagine that you have a rising tide, and just right up on the shore, you've got a couple of ships that are all sitting there, um, you know, anchored right off the shore. If the tide comes in, it's going to raise the water level. Is it only going to affect one of the ships? No, it'll affect all of the ships. Right? So if you have that water coming in, it's in one sense better for everybody. 
And the idea behind this proverb then, it has nothing to do with ships. It is to see that if there is something good that's happening for you, it'll benefit those around you. And if there's something good that's happening for those around you, it'll benefit you. And so not to be upset if there's a, a rising tide in somebody's life because it's going to help you eventually. If you see someone else having good, it's going to be good for those all around. Now, it's the same kind of idea here. The more you're doing good to others, the more you're going to see that reciprocal relationship. This is not karma, by the way, as I say that. I want to make sure we understand this. Do you guys know what karma is? Does anyone know what karma is? <clears throat> Go for it. Right. Um, the closest thing we have in, in Christianity is an eye for an eye. So, and the idea comes out of Hinduism. Hinduism being a catch-all for the religions, and there are many of them, uh, of India. Many gods, uh, many different holy books, many gurus and teachers. Uh, but they all share some things in common, and karma is one of them. And so karma is the idea of like perfect total justice all the time, everywhere, but you may not see it until the next life. And by that, we don't mean dying and facing the judgment. We would mean that after you die, you'll find yourself in a new life somewhere on this same planet, maybe as a cow, maybe as a butterfly, maybe as a plant, maybe as an amoeba, maybe as a different kind of human. But that will be a direct result of how you live this life. So every good you do will eventually have a good that comes back, and every evil you do will have an evil that comes back to you. And so if you want more good in the future, you have to do more good now. Um, this idea is not Christianity. It's directly counter to Christianity. This idea would maybe be Judgment Day, but then you'd have to strip away any good or growth or getting better. You only have all the evils you've done are going to be paid for on Judgment Day. Um, but this idea is more about this life right now. And I want to say that's not what this is teaching. This is not saying that if you do good, you're always going to get good. This is not the case. Sometimes you'll do something very good and you'll get bad in return. You'll get pain in return. You'll suffer for doing the right thing. But this is recognizing that regardless of the results, the better thing is always to do what's your duty to do, what you're called upon to do, what you've sworn you will do, or what you've said you will do, or what God has given you to do. And that is wisdom. To see that, and if it's in your power, do it. Any thoughts? Any questions before we move on from there? I knew it. You're all going to be staring at me like ducks tonight. Chickens, I suppose. All right, I told you some Ecclesiastes is coming your way. I love this book, and so I can't help it. I just want to share it now. Uh, Ecclesiastes. It's a weird name. Ecclesiastes. It comes from Greek... But the book's originally in Hebrew. And the Hebrew word would be koholeth. Um, now, both of these words have a meaning, kind of. Um, and that meaning is preacher. However, that meaning's not right at all. Because when we hear the word preacher, we think of like someone like me, right? A pastor. And that's not who the singular Ecclesiastes, uh, the Koholeth was. Um, it's more like 
Can you think of like a, a person who is famous and if they talk, lots and lots of people are going to hear them and listen to them and believe what they said. Now today, you can do that across the world, even if you don't know what you're talking about, because YouTube can enable you to do that. Okay? But imagine going back 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years, where all you have is horses and like wells and swords. There's no electricity or anything like that. And you have somebody who is so well known that people travel from all over the world just to listen to him talk. And he would sit there and thousands of people would listen to him talk. And, and they would come and travel and they would go home and they would take that information back. That's how and who Solomon, the king of Israel, was. Uh, he was, he was world-famous for talking. And so he was known as the preacher. Um, sometimes you could translate this as the teacher, but I don't think that's quite right either. Uh, I, don't, I don't really know what to use to describe this word. Um, the know-it-all, the guru. Gurus may be closer a little bit. Again, that's a Hindu word that has some bad connotations, but the one who you would want to listen to. All right? So, uh, the words of David's son, it says Ecclesiastes right, right there in the text. The words of David's son, Ecclesiastes, king in Jerusalem. Now, I'm just going to read a little bit. Oh, no, I'm not. We're going to look at verse 1. Um, I'm looking at, right now, a different Bible translation that was produced by some independent Lutheran pastors. Now, by independent, I mean they're part of the Wisconsin Lutheran Synod. Um, so they're part of a, a church body that we would respect. Um, but they didn't do this as something for their synod. They just did it on their own. They created a full translation of the entire Bible with a Lutheran intentionality. It's the first time this has ever been done by a group uh, in, in English that I am aware of. Um, it's kind of weird, 500 years, you know, English has been around this whole time and we never did it. Um, but they, they have, so I'm looking at it and I'm experimenting with it. Some of the stuff we're doing in church, we're using it just to kind of see how it feels. It handles Ecclesiastes really, really well. The first verse of, of the book in the EHV, English Heritage Version, uh, says, Nothing but vapor, says Ecclesiastes, right? The guru, the preacher. Nothing but vapor, says the guru. Totally vapor. Everything is just vapor that vanishes. Now, I don't know. They're trying to bring across something a bit complex, and we're going to look at some other translations to, to try to help that out. But let's just let's start with this word, though, because it is, I think it's pretty accurate for what he's wanting to say. Um, what, what is vapor? You probably know what vaporizing is better than what vapor is, because you can just imagine some cartoon character vaporizing something or something. Duck Dodgers. You probably don't know who Duck Dodgers is, though. My kids don't. Duck Dodgers of the 24th and a half century? No? Yeah? Okay. Yeah, we, we grew up watching the same stuff as kids. So, yeah, Daffy Duck had a thing that he was like this weird super guy. Vaporizing. Doesn't matter. Vapor. What's vapor? Someone help me. Someone who's not Emma. Poor Emma has had to answer all the questions so far. Go ahead, Trinity. Mist. What, what's that? Describe what mist is. Okay, little bits of water floating in the air. Okay, good. Yeah? Smoke, right? So we could do mist. We could do smoke. Okay. 
Yeah? Venom? You're thinking of venom. So venom is not normally vapor, right? But maybe from like a poisonous dragon, you might have a gas. A poison gas would be a vapor. Yeah? Go ahead. Chemicals. Oop. Chemicals. Are all chemicals vapor? Uh, not all of them, but some of them. Some of them. Okay, so that's good. Some chemicals. Who is other? I saw another hand go up. A cloud. Okay. So what does this all have in common, and what do you think he's trying to say then? Nothing but smoke, nothing but chemicals, nothing but clouds. Totally clouds, everything is mist and gas that vanishes. Wait, what is he getting at? Yeah. Shadows? Well, they're not really vapor at all, but I'll put it up here because it's kind of the same idea. Nothing but shadows. What's the idea? What's he trying to say? Yeah. Well, no, it's not really about sin. It's not really about sin. Everything goes away. Everything goes away. I think that's a good, it's a good summary. But it's even, maybe even more than that. Everything goes away. Your key on this one, though, so vapor, what does vapor do really easily? Goes away. Now, if I make a little tiny smoky cloud, like a light a match, blow it out, and you got that little tiny wisp of smoke, I just go, whew. how strong is it? Not very strong at all. Poof, it's just gone, right? So you can't touch it. You can't. Yeah, right. I mean, to, it, scientifically, you could capture a gas, right? But generally speaking, it's ethereal. It's, you can't grab it in your hand. Um, it's kind of like the wind in that regard. And so clouds are vapors in the air, float along, being pushed by the wind um, and all that. Uh, so, but now he's saying, Everything is vapor. Everything eventually is easy to push away. Everything eventually vanishes. Now, I want to compare this with um, these other two translations that I've grown up with. Uh, the ESV, which is the one we have in all of our stuff here, and the NIV, which if you've been in the Missouri Synod for 30 years and you had the NIV before the current one, the ESV. And they both said it this way. So the ESV says... Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And the NIV says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. So now we have two other words, and they're really trying to capture something, right? Um, but what is it, and what do they have in common? I think meaningless is maybe the easiest one. Even though if I had to, if I asked you to define what meaning is, I think you'd be like a little hard pressed. It's like, well, we all know what it is, but how do I describe it? Um, but meaningless would be to not have any meaning. There's, a, there's no value. There's no purpose. There's no what? No good? So that's kind of one thing. And then vanity, well, that's a different one. What, what's vanity? And this really has two meanings. And we just, we kind of want both of them but we kind of want one of them. Let me know what vanity is. Love of self, maybe? Yeah, that's one of them. Yep, love of self. And the other one's a little tougher. Go ahead. Selfishness? Well, that would be what love of self is, I think. Yeah, but you're right. The other one's a little tougher. It's futility, which is its own big word. But it's sort of like, no matter how hard you try, 
it doesn't work out. We don't usually say the word vanity when we say this, but we say, you know, he tried to win the race in vain, right? Um, it was in his vanity, in vain, that he tried but failed. So we kind of want both of these things to be brought in here too. But it's tough. So then what's he getting at? Are we really supposed to believe? We've got this guy in the Bible who we're told is the wisest man to ever live. He had thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people travel across the world to hear him talk. And when he's going to tell us what we really need to know, he's going to tell us that life is vapor, meaninglessness, and vanity, and that's it. He yells it over and over again. It's all completely a waste of your time. Is that, when was the last time you heard that preached? <laughs> you know? Uh, I, don't, I don't really preach it that way, do I? Very often. Now, he says some more that I think is going to help a little bit and kind of put the picture on this. This is not like he's trying to say, um, give up. It's the other way around. He doesn't want you to give up, but he wants you to see what's really achievable, what life really can be and where its value truly lies. But to do that, he's got to set up what we're facing. And so he says, what does anyone gain by all his hard work at which he works hard under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth keeps standing forever. Uh, what's a generation? Do we know what a generation is? Yeah. Um, so like, I'm your generation. That's true. That's one way of saying it. Mm -hmm. That's right. So it's an era of humans born from the same era of parents, right? Uh, so uh, another way of saying it is like all the people at a certain age are one generation and the people that are their parents' age are another generation. So a generation goes, like people die. A generation comes, people are born, they grow up. But the earth doesn't change. It just keeps standing there. And we don't seem to impact it. We think we are these days, but not as much as we really would like to think. The sun rises, and then the sun sets. You ever notice that? No, you have. You ever thought about it, though? It doesn't stop. You can't stop it. It just keeps going. Whether you're here or not, you die, sun's still going to rise. Sun's still going to set. It doesn't care about you. Uh, it just keeps going. It hurries back, panting and out of breath to its starting point where it rises again. So a little personification of the sun there. Uh, for poetic reasons. The wind goes round and round, blowing south and blowing north. The wind keeps going round in circles. All streams keep flowing to the sea. I love this one, right? Uh, all streams keep blowing to the sea, but the sea is never full. You ever know, wonder about that? Like, the Rock River doesn't really run out. It just keeps going. And you can look at the water table and figure out how all that's happening, but it just, just keeps going. Uh, there's a, kind of connected to this, there's a, a I think it's a Hindu pro proverb, about how uh, uh, no man can stand in the same river twice. Because if you think about it, as soon as you put your foot in it, the water that is on your foot is now over there. And then the water that was over there is now here. So you're always in a different river the moment you're in the river. Uh, same kind of idea. It just kind of keeps going. And it doesn't care about you. It just does what it does. And then, how, you know, does the ocean, is the ocean going to fill up eventually? Better turn off the spigot of the streams, otherwise we'll have the ocean rise. No. The water table is the entire point. It just kind of keeps going round and round and round. It's never full. Streams keep coming back to the same place, and then they flow out again. Everything, now this gets a little more serious then, 
And if you went to school today, you know <laughs> everything is tedious and tiresome. What catches me is when he says, more than one can tell. So I know when I think something's tedious and tiresome, but then I, there's all the things I think I like. And the thing is, by the time I'm done with them, I'm often tired. And so even what I love wearies me. It wears me down. And then, just like the ocean never gets full, the eye never sees enough. I can't wait to see that next movie. I totally need to see it. It's going to make me happy. Well, as soon as you have, you want to see it again. You want to see the next one. Your eye is not satisfied. And same with the ear. The ear is never satisfied. Nothing that you do is satisfying. Eventually, oh, I'm hungry. I need to eat. Oh, I'm full. I need to stop eating. Oh, I'm hungry. I need to eat. Oh, I'm full. I need to stop. It was just over and over again. And it becomes, well, it could be seen as completely futile, just a big circle over and over again. Yeah? What do you do with that, though? <laughs> We're going to look at more of it next time, but what do you do with this idea? How do you face a world that is, now hold on a second. I thought I put another verse in here. Nope. We're going to do it this way then. Come now. Come now, more Bible, Bible, Ecclesiastes, go, because da, da, da. hold on, I'm going to jump us ahead a little bit, but I got to find where it was, because I clearly did not hit paste. Yeah, there we go. So what he tell, he goes on to talk about, we won't go through it verse by verse. He goes on to talk about how realizing this, realize that everything's just in a circle. Everything's just happening the way it's always happened. Nothing's really changing. He decides to apply his mind, his wisdom, to finding out what's the best thing you can possibly do with your life, given that it's all going to blow away eventually. And he gives himself over to pleasure. He gives himself over to madness for a while. He gives himself over to laughter. He gives himself over to study and learning. He gives himself over to building great works and, and, and monuments. He gives himself over to being the best king that he could be. He gives himself over to having as many wives as he can possibly have. He talks about all of them, all in order. He's trying to figure out what's the best thing to do. And at the end of it all, he hates it all. Oh, get out of there. Come on. I, he hates his life. I hate it because the work that's done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless and chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I toiled for because I had to leave them behind to the one who came after me. And who knew whether that guy would be a fool or not? Which is doubly interesting given that his son Rehoboam is quite the fool and ruins, destroys the kingdom. Just absolutely destroys the kingdom. Um, uh, so my heart began to despair. A person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave what they have to another who did not toil for it. This, but this is meaningless too. Even the letting go of it to someone else, it ultimately is just wind too. It's just dust in the wind too. It is a great misfortune. What do people get? All their days of work and grief. At night their minds do not rest. And ah, that's just meaningless too. So then there's this. This is where he kind of gets to. And he'll, he'll come back to this more than once, but... A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too I see is from the hand of God, for without him who can eat or find enjoyment. To the persons who pleases him, God gives wisdom. Oh, let's see, there it is, wisdom. 
That's what you want. Knowledge and happiness, but to the sinner he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless. Um, so, at the end of the day, since you can't escape the fact that life's going to be what life is, regardless of what you do, you have two ways of looking at it. You can re- try to reject that and go and gather as much as you can anyway. Now, the sinner who, he goes out and he builds a barn and then puts food in it and builds a bigger barn and puts food in it, builds a bigger barn, puts food in it, and then dies. And that's what God gives him. That's all God gives him. And then there are those who are wise and see that, which doesn't mean you never build a bigger barn, doesn't mean you never gather. You know that when you gather, eventually it's going to be turned into dust. But because of that, you focus instead on, well, something different. Let me kind of shift the way we're looking at this here. What is the focus of the person, that's the wrong one here, is what I want, to the sinner. The person who is gathering and storing, where's their focus? Are they focused on the past? Are they focused on the present? Are they focused on the future? Future, right. So the person who doesn't understand that all is vapor is always living, trying to make the future something different than it is. Which means they never are able to just be here today. Whereas what he says God gives is today, the present. And that today's food and drink and people that you run into, these are meaning. Even in a world in which we're all vapor and dust and blowing away, the present moment is a gift, one to be enjoyed with each other. That's a... That might seem really obvious. That is a hard emotional lesson to learn. And I think it's even tougher for Americans because we are always planning for the future. We are always productive. We are always pragmatic. We're always trying to fix and improve everything. And you can just get caught up in it. Whereas go, 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 go. And I'm not saying don't put your hands to good tasks. You want to find satisfaction in your toil. You want to find satisfaction in your task. But part of that is finding out that it's just today. Is done with today. And if I'm so focused on tomorrow that I miss today, all I do is die and leave it behind. As opposed to spending time with the people that are right there in front of you. Now, he goes on and he'll talk about the hand of God and how your religion plays a part of this. And so to do this in God's sight means to do it under his wisdom, to do it under his knowledge and in faith. So it's not about not having faith. I think this is maybe why Lutherans don't talk about this a lot, though, because, like, where is Jesus in this, right? Where's Jesus been? Um, Well, Jesus is the grace to look at a world built of dust that's blowing away and be okay with it. He's risen from the dead. And because of that resurrection, I don't have to worry about building a permanent castle here, a permanent life here. I can trust in the life to come, the mansion he's building for us on the last day. And I can just live with what we have here. Um, so that it's very much only possible through an understanding of Christ and his holding of us in his hands uh, to, to believe this. But I, I'm also, I'm convinced, and I don't know, you're my guinea pigs here again. I'm kind of convinced that this is the kind of thing that if people knew it was in the Bible, they might be more interested in learning about Christianity. This kind of wisdom. Um, there's a movement right now. Yeah? That was a big thing that brought me in here, actually. Was just, as I got older, you know, I 
<laughs> right, right. But Yeah, 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 yeah. So how do we see more? Um, and yet, there is some of where that is just it, right? But then we're so busy trying to see something more that we miss the value of what that, that it is. Yeah, well, and for sure, the future life to come. One, one of my favorite prayers is from the Psalms. I think it's the end of Psalm 128 where we say, Establish thou, you, God, you establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, please establish the work of our hands. We're basically asking him to give us a world that doesn't blow away. Right? Let, my, let my hands and what they do be something that, that is forever or that is for a long while. Um, and in some ways, that's, that's very much what the end of the world is going to be. But there's this other side to it too where, like if I, if I had to use my hands... And I take some food and I cook it and I make a meal and I put it before you. I don't want it to last forever. That would be awful. It would, it would rot, right? What I want is for you to enjoy it now. And so to see that in the midst of that, is this all there is, um, there's, a, there's a good yes to that too. Yeah? Not without, you know, not denying the ultimate God the life of the world to come, relationship with him, restoration to renewal of the mind in him. Although part of that, again, is seeing the wisdom of just letting today be today and that that's enough. And again, you have various groups, the Stoics, the Buddhists. They try to talk this way too. Sometimes they do talk this way. And I just think it's wrong that... Um, they're doing that in our territory, <laughs> American Christianity, um, and they're beating us at our own game. We got it. Now, wh why did we let go of it? Um, now, don't, don't go and turn any of this into some sort of law that you're supposed to, like, judge yourself by. That's not the point. That's not the point. The point is to see clearly the lay of the ground and to know that no matter how good a human I am, I can only achieve so much and it eventually will fall. But that Christ is sufficient. He's achieved all. I stand on him. And so I'm all the more free to see today for what today is and take it for what it is. Right now, here I am. Here you are. We're talking. Earlier today, you were somewhere else with people. Those are good things. Um, they're gifts to be received. All the more when it's family, right? Dinner with a, a loved one. Um, all those things. So, for what it's worth, maybe we'll come back to this more. Maybe we won't. But I just, I don't know. I'm enamored with the book uh, at, this, at this point. So, any other thoughts? I didn't mean to cut you off there, Carolyn. I maybe did a little bit. Yeah. I see, like, vocation in there, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's toil from God. What do you mean by vocation? Let's explain that word. So what's that? It's, it's a fancy way of saying your job. Okay. You know, not necessarily you're getting paid for it, because if you're, you know, a mom, you're a dad. You, you know, I have not gotten a paycheck from any of my kids yet. Uh. <laughs> so, the trick with that, in though, is if you say your job, most of us only have one, maybe two jobs. And vocation is more than that, right? So, 
I like to, I mean, this isn't really a great example, but it's like the hats you wear. And someone's going to say, I don't wear hats. I don't like the way they look with my hair. And I'll say, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how in different relationships, you put on a different face. In different roles, you do different things. So sometimes you're a child. Sometimes you're a parent. Some of you aren't there yet. Yeah. But you're a student. And then you're an athlete. And then you're, um, I don't know, someone who does homework. And then you're someone who, uh, I don't know, draws art. Hmm? Science a science homework, right. <laughs> um, but you can be both these things at the same time. Yeah. Uh, again, you can be a husband and a father and a son all at the same time to different people. So the hats you wear are always in relationship to others. And it gets even more narrow than that. I've been talking about really big ones. But one of my favorites to remind myself of is that as soon as I get in my little Prius and I turn that key, I'm now in the vocation of driver. And I should be in the vocation of safe driver as opposed to reckless driver. Yeah? Because in the vocation of driver, my job is to love my neighbor as myself, which means to not hit them with my car and to get whoever's in my car home safely. That's a vocation. It's a, it's, a, it's a defined relationship. It even has laws and rules connected to it because we recognize how important it is for all of us to stay alive on the roads. So it's a marvelous idea, vocation. It's one of those things where it's like we really need a better word. And, and job gets it, but job can be just such a money-based thing, right? And that's what you're saying, like your kids don't pay you for what you do as a father, um, though they should. Where are my kids? You should. All the work I do. For you. So you're saying then vocation is connected to the previous idea. So what were you thinking on that then? Um, um, what you had up before. Because it says, like, you know, the wise man is toiling, but it's, uh, so we're eating and drinking and finding satisfaction in our, in our toil. Yeah. And it's a gift from God. You know, so it's that first article idea that connected to the neighbor, you know, all, all good things are happening through that, you know, so God is using this guy to grow crops, this guy to grind flour, this guy to bake bread. So, what you just did was connected this idea of vocation or these hats that we wear to our relationship with God as well. So that every time you fulfill a role that you have as a human with another human, you're also, it's a gift God has given to you, but then through you it's a gift God is giving to that other person. Let's go back to the dinner that I just made. Right? I made this dinner and I'm giving it to you. I'm feeding it to you. Well, who has provided that food for your body? Well, you don't pray to me before the meal. right? You pray to God. Why? Because he made the food. But... Did he get down on his hands and knees and make the food? No. It grew out of the ground, and then somebody gathered it, and then somebody transported it, and somebody bought it, and then somebody cooked it, and then that person or someone else served it. So who did it? Well, God did it, but did they not do it? No, of course. They did it too. So the answer is not that God didn't do it, but that God did it through them. And that's what it means to have or be called masks of God, that in everything we do, and this, this goes even for unbelievers, they are God's masks in the created order. He's, he's behind it. He built it to work a certain way. But we are the ones enacting that. And even in the fall, that continues to happen. 
Um, and in that regard, I think what Michael maybe is trying to say then is that not joy so much, but contentment in life comes with understanding your mask. Finding it and embracing it and say, well, that's, that's who I am. It's what I've been given. And there are, there are different levels of choosing you have in this. I mean, you don't get to choose the mask of what physical gender you are. But you do get to choose whether or not you want to keep drawing paintings or whether you'd like to move on to coding or something like that, right? So it, it's, there's some freedom there. But in embracing the particular mass or vocation or roles or stands that you have and finding joy in them, in your toil, satisfaction in your toil, um, well, that is uh, to love what God has made, right? To love what God has made um, and rejoice in it. I don't know. It's a very Lutheran idea. Vocation is. Yeah, not specifically the whole thing, but you're talking about how we maybe have let some of those Ecclesiastes go, but there's a lot of stuff that we can talk about within it that wouldn't sound foreign to Lutherans, right? The thing is, my voice cracks, I feel like we think we have to be optimistic. It's sort of like part of our Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, religious, spiritual heritage is, is everything's supposed to be kind of happy. It's supposed to be kind of cheery. It's just, no, we're, we're happy here. You know? um, it's never, don't be too dark about anything. And there's like a brutal darkness to Ecclesiastes that just makes me feel, feel so much more free than kind of the soft, pastel, cheesy happiness that isn't really real. Um, and where I don't have to be optimistic about how, yeah, everything's going to fall apart someday. Huh, it's the way it is. But then that, that sets me free. That doesn't bind me. Now I can make mistakes and not worry about it. My mistakes aren't worth very much now. They're not, they don't mean anything. They're all going to pass away eventually. I can try new things. I can, um, I, I can work hard and build something even with the goal of having it pass away. Uh, and that, that is, is very freeing. Um, there's a realism there that while embracing the darkness also allows you to bring light into it, I think. Um, and I don't know that going back and talking about vocation does that. I, I remember, I mean, vocation as a concept really was all the rage about 10 years ago on online Lutheranism, maybe, maybe eight years ago. And that's connected in part to a very good book. Do we have this one for sale out there? We should. Spirituality of the Cross. Oh, that's terrible. That's an oversight. Who did that? <laughs> yeah. um, it's a great book. came out 10, 15 years ago, somewhere in there. And there's, a, there's a chapter on vocation. Um, and so it, it really became a, a jargony term that got thrown around a lot online. Um, but I'm not sure how much it's really helped us be better at it. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure what my goal is even with you, other than to say that this, what this says, is so filled with truth that we don't, as Missouri Synod Lutherans, kind of operate with day in and day out, and I think we'd be stronger if we did. Uh, there's a certain, a certain wisdom here that we can find, so that personally, um, I'm starting to reread this book, uh, and I probably will do it more than once. 
because I really want to figure out what's going on in it. It, it seems mind-opening to me. Yeah. Well, that's kind of just it, though. That's optimistic. It sees faith as optimism. And I think that's true. Part of the like vocation was like against that, right? Because mm-hmm. like the pietism of you know what you do five days a week from eight to five or eight to five doesn't really matter. What matters is you know that what you do for God. It's trying to get to that. There's another word that Luther uses in the vocation context that it they're not exactly the same thing in his thought, but I think that they can help us. And that's to think about you know, where you stand, or your stand, or making a stand. When you think about your life, where do you stand? What do you stand for? Do you intend to make a stand with your life? And what does that mean? And I think that vocation is a way of talking about the ways and the places in which you stand. I'm going to stand as a good father. I'm going to stand as a worker with my hands in this way. Um, And then this becomes the wisdom of how to stand. How to stand and not be surprised when you fall. How to get back up again. Uh, there's a great moment in, in Batman Begins where Batman, as a young boy, is falling down into this pit. Anybody remember this? And uh, his father comes down to pull him out. This is kind of one of the places where he, he first sees the bats and thinks about you know, the bat cave and all this. But um, his father comes down to pull him out and he says, you know, why do we fall down, Bruce? So we can learn how to pick ourselves up. Now, that's not exactly biblical truth, right? But it kind of is, too, right? Uh, why do we learn the way the world really is? So that we can stand in it. Uh, as opposed to the rest of the world running around with their fingers in their ears, going, nah, 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 it's all going to be fine, over and over again. And as they do that, they're running from store to store to store, and from job to job to job, and from meal to meal to meal, just trying to put as much together as they can in the hopes that we can pretend it's not all going to fall apart someday. I, it's just so much more freeing to say, oh, it's all going to fall apart someday. So I'm just going to do what's right here now. Yeah, sure, I'll plan for tomorrow, but not as if I can outwit God. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to outfigure sin. I'm not going to outdo decay. Not ultimately. Uh, I'm going to be content instead with today. Um, and I would again contend that it's grace in Christ that is the freedom to do that. You know, I could die today, and it's okay. Um, after we take the Lord's Supper... The song that we sing generally, not always, is called the Nunc Dimittis. That's the, the, um, the Latin phrase for now, Lord. So you know this now, Lord, you let your servant go in peace according to your word, right? Sound familiar? There's different ways we sing it. Um, that is from Simeon. Remember who Simeon was? Anybody? Yeah?
close, but no cigar, but yes, but no. He wasn't a high priest. He's just an old man. Mary brings Jesus in in order to have him circumcised. And he is, sees Jesus, and he runs up, and he says, This is the Christ. I knew that I would see the Christ before I died. Now, Lord, I can die and go in peace. You have done what you said. I've seen the Savior. Salvation is here. We sing that after we take the Lord's Supper. After we take the Lord's Supper, we say, Well, Lord, now I can die. I've seen the salvation. The Christ is here. It's all accomplished. There's nothing more that can come of my life than I already have now. And then, you know, we go home and we make lunch and we get ready for the afternoon and prepare for the next day and just live the next day as well. But at that moment, we're free to die. And really, that means every moment after that, we're free to die. Which, the rest of the world's not free to die at all. They're doing everything they can to stop dying. And I'm not saying go try to die. <laughs> I'm just saying don't fear it. You don't have to fear it. The sun's going to come up. The sun's going to go down. The water's going to flow. You're going to have something to do. You're going to have something to eat. And one day it's going to be over. But then Christ will raise you from the dead and establish the work of your hands. Um, there's power in that. There's, there's, there's a wise power in that, that. The power is a patience. It's a patience. It's, you don't have to have it all. You can just have today. And everyone who's trying to have it all, they're missing today. They're too busy chasing it all. And even when they get it, they got their eye on something else. There's a nice little trick from mindfulness. I'm going to come to you here. Um, but I find this very interesting. You can try it on yourself sometime. The next time you're, like, excited about a food you're going to get to eat, right? Like, I haven't had pizza for a while. I'm going to get pizza tomorrow night. Oh, I'm so excited about the pizza. Can't wait for the pizza. Going to have some pizza, right? You, just, you start thinking about what's going to happen, whatever you want to fill in for that. What happens is the more you think about how I can't wait for it, I can't wait for it multiple times, that day leading up to it, what you're doing is you're training your brain to not pay attention to what's in front of you. You're looking ahead. And so by the time you get to the pizza, you're going to eat the pizza and you're going to realize, I didn't even pay attention to eating the pizza. I was too busy looking ahead. Because I never learned to see what was right in front of me. Now again, this, that's a Buddhist insight. But it's, it's true. And it's not disconnected from this. Right? The trying to live in the future brings despair. Living in the present is the gift of God. It also will have problems. But to not try to make it more than it is does bring a contentment and a joy that the rest of the world can't know because they're too busy living in the future. Huh. Um, thoughts? What's our time at? Yes, yes, you had your hand up. This is true. Simeon. Simeon. Got it. No idea. So the question is, doesn't he die like the day after? No idea when Simeon dies. He could have lived another 10 years. Probably not, but... Yeah, it, it, he tells us he was old. He doesn't really tell us how old he was specifically. But that he'd been waiting for the consolation of Israel, Jesus. And he'd been told he would see Jesus before he dies. And now he's okay with it. And it's, it's more about being okay with it, though, right? Being okay with dying. That's a weird thing. It's a superpower if you got it. It doesn't mean you want to. Paul, Paul's amazing like this. Paul will talk about how, like, he knows for a fact to die is better than be alive because when you die, it's not that you get to go have a lot of fun in heaven. It's that 
the sin is gone. So even though you don't have your body in heaven, you're waiting for the resurrection, even though, who knows how long it'll be until you can have pizza again. I have no idea if floating in heaven you, without a body you get to eat pizza. Probably not. So you've got a long time to wait for pizza if the world doesn't end for a while. Even though that might be the case, it's better to be there because the sin is gone. And yet he says, even though I know it's better to be there because I finally won't have to hate my neighbor, I'll be just done with that forever. I all know that for my neighbor's sake, it's better that I be here to serve my neighbor, even though I don't love him the way I should. And so Paul says, I'm, I'm convinced I'll remain for a while because you, he's writing to one of the churches, need my help right now. And so even though I know it's better to die, I know God's going to keep me alive. Um, now, I share all that just to show you again how he was like either or. If the Lord takes me, praise his name. If the Lord leaves me, praise his name. What do I have right now? What's in front of me? Uh, uh, and hands to do something with. Again, there's a great freedom in this, a great wisdom in it. Um, nah. So, I wonder then how well that connects to what we've been looking at with our, our kind of language creation here. Augsburg Confession Remix. I don't know what to call it. I've been talking about theology knowing God and the hidden supernatural. The creator who's unseen is all we did all this last week, right? There's an unseen creator. There's a seen creation. There's also an unseen creation. So behind all of these things, there's a spiritual order going on of which you're a participant. Your body is spiritual. And so there, there's things you don't see that your body is. And we believe that that's a result of God's being the creator. So the first thing of Christianity is knowing in a true, there is a God. There's a true God, a supernatural God. Um, the second thing then is recognizing how our nature is shifted, right? So what, if this category is God, the Trinity, then this category is sin, right? The animal nature, the instinctual wickedness of us as the sons of Adam and the resulting carnage. <laughs> That's quite a word. Um, carnage, fallout, or disaster, or when you, um, you rip something up or where something gets destroyed, it's carnage, so because of our animal nature, the instinct we have that drives us to do things only for ourselves and not for others, the result is pain for others. And I don't know if what we've been talking about really connects into this, aside from to see that what the animal nature leads us to do is to reject vocation as a gift for others and in turn all stands into stands for ourselves. And in doing that, we divide rather than unite and we break rather than build up. Um, and so this is, you know, the reason why everything's falling apart is because of this thing built into us, um, which has affected the whole world in the fall, right? The, the cataclysm or the fall, uh, that everything that we touch with our hands now has received our brokenness. And so there's cracks in the concrete and there's thorns on the roses. And uh, if you put a lamb and a lion together, they don't lay down and hang out. The lamb eats the, or lamb eats the lion. The lion eats the lamb. Uh, so uh, there's, a, there's a, a rebellion in the orders of earth that needs to be dealt with. Now what I don't have here would be the next article. So if we're dealing with articles, main ideas, right? There's a triune God. We have a sinful condition. And then number three is what God does about it anyway. Article three is, is Jesus. Who he is, what he's done, the creed. 
especially when we get to his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his return, those things. So, I don't know. I don't know, I don't know. I really don't even know what we're doing with this class. We're trying to learn together, and hopefully we are. We're just about out of time. Yes? Until the fall happened. I don't know how to describe it, but I can tell you how I imagine it. Okay? Here's how I imagine it. Take like a movie screen of a perfect garden, perfect world, with like lambs and lions playing with each other and all this stuff, right? Pretty fruits and all this. And then there's this big fire wave that goes through the whole universe. And it goes across the screen. As it cuts across the screen, what it leaves behind is a different world. So the world that's beautiful and perfect just rips away. And the world behind suddenly has everything there but changed. So where there was a rose, now there's a rose with thorns. Uh, where there was concrete, now there's cracked concrete. There's no concrete in paradise. Um, but where there was no decay, now it decays. Now it breaks. Right? So the whole universe just got tainted with our instinctual wickedness. Hmm? So that even little rodents will bite the hand of the one who bought their food hard when they're hungry. This has nothing to do with something that happened to me personally today with my wife's pet. Vicious thing. Still hurts. So, uh, it's cute, but it hurt. It really did. <laughs> All right, well, unless you have any other thoughts to add to this, we're at our time. So I appreciate you staying focused on an unfocused snowy night. Uh, let's go pray.